look at all the memes about hating Mondays. Look at all the memes about, I can't wait till the weekend and, and this whole Friday thing. There's this whole group of people that hate their jobs. They hate what they're doing, which means they hate themselves and they hate their life and they're living in this cycle of Wah! just to get to Saturday. Whew. And greetings, freedom lovers. I am your grateful host, Kurt Mercadante. This is the Freedom Media Network, and you are about to listen to or watch, depending on where you consume our content, another wonderful interview with another incredible human being who is working to help people be more free in their lives, whether they're entrepreneurs. He's worked as a missionary. Uh, our guest today is Robert Peterson. He's the host the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast and co-founder of Add Value to Life Coaching. I've had the honor of being on his podcast before. And Robert helps entrepreneurs shift their mindset and reach their dreams. He started out in Christian ministry as a church planter, pastor, and mentor. He began his own entrepreneurial journey after 20 years in ministry and aimed to help individuals use the tools he's gathered He's trained in conflict coaching, relationship coaching, speaking, training, and coaching, and uses his vast toolbox to coach business owners as they struggle and aim to grow their businesses to the next level. He's got over 20 years of coaching, uh, coaching leaders. He offers a unique perspective guiding professionals to get out of their own way as he helps them see what is written on the instructions outside the box he's sitting. And I love the way you put that. And he also is author of a great book we're going to discuss today, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success. After that long and wonderful intro, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Man, Kurt, thank you for having me. That uh, that intro is pretty. That's that's something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's always good for people to get a context of of, uh, of who they're listening to. You know, I'd love to. I'd love to start out with a question. I used to ask it of all my guests. I don't as much anymore. I have no idea why. And I was thinking about it this morning. But I'd love to ask you this question because it's always really fascinating to hear different people's uh, response to this question. But the word freedom. What does the word freedom mean to you? You know, obviously, I think many people in our culture have an idea of freedom as this free for all idea. Mm. And obviously, with my faith background and my relationship with the Lord, I recognize that that freedom is really living within a set of boundaries, right? And and so I still I still want right the freedom of choice and, and the freedom to to do the things that I want to be able to do with my family. But I also recognize that that I need guidelines. I need I need boundaries that 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 help me to to find those things in a, in a way that's healthy for me, right? And sure. And, I, and so so my faith provides me with with boundaries right and and I've, I've learned to provide those same boundaries in my marriage so my wife and I have great freedom in our marriage I think we've you know we're, we're at a point in our marriage where I think every day I wake up and I choose her and every day she wakes up and she chooses me and if there were a day that she didn't choose me I would I would let her go but I I pray that that day never comes because every day we're choosing each other and and in that process we're making each other better Right. Yeah. But in order to make each other better, you have to have the freedom to choose the opposite. Right. You have to have the freedom to to be able to have that other choice. Otherwise, it's enslavement. And and mm -hmm. I think, you know, I she doesn't want to be enslaved to me and I don't want to be enslaved to her. And yet we have a really great partnership that, that each of us chooses every day. And, and I feel my relationship with the Lord is is very similar. Right. I, I get to choose to follow him every day and I get to choose to. And, and, and if I chose not to, he would, he would let me go. And of course I would deal with the consequences of that. But, yeah. you know, I, I think there's this, there's this idea of anarchy as, as freedom. And I, and I don't believe that that's what true freedom really is. I think true freedom is, is the ability to live um, in a way that benefits those around you. And, and I think that's the, the main boundary that, that people bump up against because we're so selfish and narcissistic by nature that it's hard to be focused on other people first. Yeah. And, and you can, 
there, there was a thing where our, our, our daughter was in Sunday school. And this is one reason we left this church because there wasn't an understanding of, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of nuance in the world, right? <laughs> Which I think given the way our society has gone, there's no room for nuance anymore. <laughs> and so there was a, a book and uh, she had it in her Sunday school and it said, individualism equals selfishness. Individualism is bad. And, you know, I, I went to our priest at the time and I said, well, you know, I don't know about this because St. Peter refused to denounce Jesus and was hung upside down and murdered. I'd say he was kind of a strong individual, <laughs> you know? And so, so there's a difference between what, what you said, the narcissism, right? And letting your ego drive it and being a strong individual, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I think obviously every one of us was created unique, right? I mean, we all have unique fingerprints. We all have unique DNA. We all have unique gifts and talents. And, and I think, obviously, if all of us were the same, then we couldn't serve each other and complement each other. But the truth is, in our differences, we have the opportunity to, to help each other and, and serve each other. And I think, ultimately, we were created to do that, right? And then, of course, the inclination is the opposite of that, right? The opposite of love is is this combination of hate and disregard and and of course selfishness where you know I want the world to revolve around me I want everybody to to take care of me and and I'm not going to do anything for any of you but but enslave you right and that that we see what kind of crazy that creates um, <laughs> right <laughs> whether whether it be whether it be that narcissistic boyfriend that's abusing his girlfriend or whether that be the president of a crazy country, you know, right, <laughs> um, right. enslaving, you know, seeking to enslave people. And, and I think the, the, the truest freedom is found in expressing yourself in a way that adds value to the people around you and, and builds, builds other people up. I think that's what we were created for. And I think when we focus on other people, when we do good for the world and other people, that's when we can experience, you know, freedom at the levels that that most people really long for, right? The the freedom yeah. to travel where you want, the freedom to say the things that you want, the freedom to share the things that you want. But it's really because you're adding value rather than going around and knocking people down and 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 being a destructive force. You can be an empowering force for good in the world. You know, you you worked in, and, and I'd love to explore this more. Your work in uh, as a Christian missionary for years, and um, and it's always it's interesting where sometimes I will, you know, you watch Shark Tank, and there are some people, and it's not just millennials. Everyone wants to rip on millennials. But <laughs> I've seen plenty uh, people in fifties and sixties who are uh, who have is more issues than millennials, right? And, and you remember. Everyone wants to rip on millennials for participation trophies. Who are the ones who created and invented the participation trophies? It was the people who are now 50s and 60s. These millennials just got stuck with it. But, I, I, you know, I'm always fascinated, and it's a teaching moment for our kids when we watch Shark Tank and someone, um, how shall we say, confuses the notion of being able to add value and benefit the world with a entitlement mentality of, well, this is a wonderful business idea. I know it's going to help the world. Therefore, you, I deserve you to give me an investment. <laughs> and there, there's someone I, I met and they, they were trying, they had it funded by their church and they were trying to build it. But there was this fundamental notion of, don't these people know we're trying to help them? And there was also, there was no knowledge of market and value. And it's like, listen, you got to, and I told them, you got to decide if you're a, a church or a for-profit entity, you can combine the two and realize. So how, as someone who came from missionary work and is now a money grubbing entrepreneur, evil money you read about in your book, <laughs> how do you bridge that gap? And how do you urge someone else who has this mentality that, well, you know, add value means I, I, I'm not going to think about myself at all. I don't want to put on the oxygen mask first because that's selfish. And I'm just going to give, give, give without the notion of receiving as good. So I'll leave it with that. Ooh, man, there's, there's a lot in there. Right? Yeah. I, I just overloaded you with a yeah. to your so, question. So first of all, the, the entitlement idea is clearly not biblical, right? 
there's clearly consequences for our actions. And the minute we take away consequences, we take away learning opportunities. And so we've set up a whole generation of kids that that have no idea that when they go out and get a job and they don't show up, that they're going to get fired, right? And And most employers might have a little tolerance, but the truth is, it goes away pretty fast, right? When, when somebody shows up late consistently or, or doesn't, you know, choose to do their job, right? You, you owe me a paycheck, but I don't really owe you any work. Right. And so, so that entitlement idea, obviously it, it falls on its face in the reality of, of our workplace. And so, you know, sports is a great metaphor for the lessons you need to, to be a good businessman, to be a good entrepreneur, because the reality in sports at the, at the elite level, right? Like, you know, college, you know, we're, we're watching the basketball right now. Right. And, and at that level, right. There's no, there is no award for participation. You lose and you're out. <laughs> the, right. They, now they made it. Each team makes it a little bit further in the tournament, but, but the true reward comes from winning the whole thing. And so the, the reality is that this participation award thing only works so far. But I think our schools have also done something terrible on the opposite side is this whole grading system we've created, right? When we're kids, you go to school and this is where you learn that failure is bad, right? You get an F on a paper, you get an F on a grade and, and failure is bad. If you take the F home to your parents, that's bad. And, and so I think that's one of the places where mm-hmm. we started grading ourselves and started evaluating you know, our rating ourselves on whatever, you know, the teacher's opinion or whatever. But those failures are the first ones that we we identify as whoo failure's bad and and so part of me wants to change that idea to say oh you know you failed this thing but let's redo it let's 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 learn from it and and trying to create second chances that are second chances that are learning experiences and and taking you to another level rather than just leaving it this this f on here oh no, you got to go to summer school which it's kind of a second chance, but it's not yeah. promoted in a positive way, right? It's like it's like a judgment. It, it's all the A, B, C, D, E, F is a judgment. And people may see a uh, a bit of a, well, but you said freedom is about restrictions. Aren't aren't uh, grades restrictions? And there's a difference, isn't there? It's Absolutely. a difference between judging yourself and having some sort of discipline or a growth mindset. <laughs> Well, and, and then the grades are never related necessarily to, right? So sometimes it's performance, right? Sometimes, especially, right? Like sixth grade, I'll say sixth grade in my senior year, I could have cared less about school. And so whatever, you know, so I knew it was a performance issue, but sometimes grades is really an ability issue. And, and the student doesn't understand the things and doesn't learn things, but there's really, the school has no separation between a student's abilities right? And, and helping them progress or a student's, you know, are they really putting in, in the effort? And so it, the whole system is kind of, but, but that's how our, our industrial system is kind of created too. We're, we're setting students up to be prepared for, you go to work, you get paid, you go to work, you get mm-hmm. paid, you go to school, you get grades, you go to school, you get grades, you go to work, get paid. And once we set everybody up in this, in this system, that's kind of where they end up, right? I go to my job, I get off work, I go have a beer, I eat dinner with the family, I go to bed, I wake up, I do breakfast, I go to work, you know, and, and we've created this mindless army of <laughs> of industrial employees. Yeah, I call it the moving walkway, right? It's like society will say, do whatever you want. We celebrate uniqueness, but it's like you're on the moving walkway and you look at people who are not on the walkway and they're free. And you're like, I want some of that. But as soon as you say that, either someone will say, no, no, no snap back, get on the moving walkway, or because you've been conditioned since you since birth, it's like, uh, I feel guilty for wanting to get off the moving walkway because this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right. Well, and, and now the difference, right, is whether I get a boat or a four by four, right? And so right. <laughs> I'm still on the moving walkway, but I've chosen the boat path for the weekend or the, or the four by four for the weekend, or maybe I go to football games and I'm tailgating, right? It, whichever one of those, those entertainment things, but it's just a different, it's just a different track. And it's certainly not any more a level of freedom, right? If you're working Monday through Friday, just to get to the weekend to, to enjoy your life, you're missing out on, on an awful lot that you were created for. 
and there's nothing wrong with these material things, right? But it's, no, it's, not it's, at all. If, it's if you become attached to them, right, and obsessed with them, and well, and, and it, it's the nine to five grind to get to them, right? Like if 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 you're just doing the nine to five Monday through Friday, right? Look at all the memes about hating Mondays. Look at all the memes about I can't wait till the weekend and and this whole Friday thing. There's this whole group of people that hate their jobs they hate what they're doing which means they hate themselves and they hate their life and they're living in this cycle of just to get to saturday and i can enjoy saturday and sunday and then i spend five more days miserable so that's so that's a whole nother area but the other place you you kind of mentioned was this this transition of you know so even in christian circles it's hard right the church needs money to to support ministry right so so the church, you would think, would want to encourage its members to make more money, <laughs> mm, right. right? And and the Bible talks more about money than it does about any other topic. Hmm. Jesus was pretty clear about money. He teaches the the parable of the talents, right? And and the guy that gets the guy that gets five doubles it. The guy that gets you know ten doubles it. And the guy that gets two, he's oh, I'm so scared. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want the boss to be mad. And he buries it in the ground and he comes back and he says, what? You didn't do anything with it. You could have put it in the bank and at least got 0.104%, right? No, he's giving, I've given you these talents to use them. And the more you use them, the more you benefit people. And, and somewhere along the way, the church got this idea that, that they take the, the risks, right? They're certainly being rich creates consequences, right? Mm. Having a richness in your life creates consequences. But richness isn't just about money. I'm rich in relationships. I'm rich in, I'm rich in family. I have a great family relationship. I've been married to my wife for 31 years. Uh, I've got, I've got fantastic relationships. I, I don't get. I'm not at risk of going to jail. I'm not. I don't worry about stuff. I mean, there's whole bunches of things that provide me richness and freedom that that aren't just about money but the truth is all of those things take money and, and mm-hmm. money is a, is a fantastic tool and so we've got to be able to say i want money it's okay to want money now what i want to do with that money i can do all kinds of great things with that money but it still takes money if you want to feed the homeless if you want to you know get kids out of slavery and get kids out of sex trafficking to all of those things take money. You can't do it for free. And, and I, I don't know. So when I first got into, into ministry, missionaries kind of this, this lower level, right? It's, it's elevated as far as, um, personality. Like you go to places, they'll introduce you. We've got this missionary lives in South America. Woo. But when it comes to, to paying missionaries, they're like, Oh no, you, you guys are missionaries. You live in South America. You can, you can sacrifice for Jesus and, and, and live on less. In fact, many of them would brag about, oh, yeah, we made it through the whole month on $25. And so, so the first thing is to we need to honor our, our workers and honor the people that are, that are doing these kinds of ministries in the places where they're doing them. And, and Paul was very clear about that, right, that, that, that the worker's worthy of his wage. In fact, um, asking for money is actually a benefit to the person that you're asking them for. And, and it, there's, yeah, there's crazy ideas about money out there that just have to have to be broken. And, and I think a big part of the church is still caught up in this mindset of, Oh no, if people get too much money, they'll get too distracted and they won't love Jesus anymore. And, and Jesus is saying, no, I need people to have money because that's how the church is going to spread. That's how, that's how love is going to spread. That's how we're going to do great things in the world. It takes money to do all those great things. And, and the biggest, most effective ministries are using money to do it. Now, does that mean that the pastor should be flying in a private plane, that the, you know, the church building should be gilded in gold? I mean, obviously, there's choices, right? We, we need to make choices with how we use the money. You know, and I think of the cathedrals back in the day when, when of course, they were taking from all the people to, to build these great cathedrals. And many of them built over multiple generations, which is just incredible, right? Like, like grandfathers and stuff passed it on and the grandkids are the ones finishing these incredible, incredible buildings. Um, but it was a distraction, truly, to, to what 
<laughs> ministry is meant to be. And I think, you know, today they can, they can still be that kind of distraction. Um, but of mm. course, money can be a distraction to an individual, right? You've got to be committed to what you believe about money and, and what you want to do with it long before you'll ever get it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, certainly money like anything else on the material plane, if you are solely obsessed with it, but money's a tool, it's not good or bad. And some people, yeah, use money to, you know, no matter how much money they have, they don't have enough and they, they destroy everything else in their life, their relationships and all that. Why do you think, you know, I always, I always used to laugh that when the Pope came out and gave a speech about how the evils of the free market get ready for them to pass the hat. You know, I went to Catholic high school where I think the tuition's up to 15 grand a year. That ain't poor people paying that. My dad went to University of Notre Dame. I think, I don't know how much that is. It's minimum 50 grand a year, probably more. It's not, it's the capitalists paying that. Yeah, they give scholarships. Why do you think? Because if you really read the gospel, it's interesting. You know, my wife and I, we sold our home in 2020. We gave up all our possessions and traveled the world. Not out of this sense of, we got, it was just a sense of, we didn't want to be attached anymore. We didn't think the stuff was bad. We just wanted to kill the attachments and travel around and have fun and be free. And it's interesting that the same people who, I call them the holy rollers, and this doesn't mean that if you're religious, you're automatically a holy roller or spiritual, but it's kind of the virtue signalers who all through life would, would, would make me feel guilty for having money were the same ones when we sold everything, which is exactly what Jesus says. And I, he's not saying, you know, they, they turn it around and say, Jesus was saying, you know, when he says it's easier to pass through the eye of the needle, that he's saying money's bad. No, he's saying if you become attached to it, and that's all you care about. But that could be money, anything on the material plane. The same people who would always make me feel bad about money when we actually did what they talked about doing, they're like, you're, what are you doing? You're crazy. Right. Oh, you're putting your kids at risk. And it's like, well, wait. Do you only use the gospel when it suits your agenda? You know, and, and so why do you think that humans got in the way between the gospel and us? And not not all religions, right? But certainly I grew up Catholic. They do it in Catholic religion very well to make you believe and make you feel guilty about money when you clearly quoted the gospel in terms of money being talked about more than anything else, the talents, the invest. Why do you think they've done this? I, you know, it's, it's odd. It, and I even think back to what the church actually teaches compared to what people actually apply and, mm. and believe. And so I believe the church I was a part of taught about money, taught about, taught Dave Ramsey's principles, taught about, you know, the difference between debt. And, and of course, our culture is so debt driven right now that that's a really important thing, right? If you want to be a slave, get into debt. Bible's very clear about that, right? <laughs> that debt is not a good thing. And so avoiding debt is, is a huge teaching that most people don't follow. But mm -hmm. then, like even the teaching that you mentioned, that it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle everybody gets so caught up on Jesus saying, don't be rich. But the very next sentence, Jesus says, but with God, all things are possible. And so he completely erases this thing they're teaching because he says, this is really challenging, but with God, yeah, it's possible. And they completely miss the whole point. And that the point of that message has nothing to do with being rich and getting through the eye of the needle. The point of that message is, God can do it for you. <laughs> right. And so, so that's, I think that's one of the challenges. The church, I think in a lot of cases, the church is teaching some really good stuff, but people get caught on these verses and caught on these mm -hmm. ideas and same thing you experienced. I think it's very, they have an experiential theology. Is that, is that the word experiential? Right. So their, their theology is based on their personal experience far more than it's based on what the Bible teaches. And so when it comes to money and they're, they're all dealing with money challenges. And so they read the scripture experientially through that theology. And that's the theology they're applying to the scripture rather than allowing the scripture to be the theology and the truth in their lives. Yeah. And so, so that's why it's easy for them to say, Oh, Kurt, you shouldn't be collecting that house and those cars and all those things. And then at the same time, Kurt, you're crazy for selling the house and the car and all those things. Right. 
<laughs> that's how they flip-flop because it's all based on their experience. It's not based on, and, and it's based on what it is that they want, right? And they want that hey. security, that long-term thing. And as soon as you give up the house and the cars, you've given up that security, that safety net, but you've also given up all those attachments to all of those things, right? And what a great lesson to, to give up all those things. And, and we did, we did the same thing. We moved to South America on an airplane, like eight suitcases. <laughs> and, and it was a huge, it was a huge, like, let go of, it was cool. Like in our young family, you know, now we've lived in the same house for 12 years and we've collected all kinds of crap. Right. right what on earth i don't need all this of course my kids have moved out and they left all their crap <laughs> which is what we do right i think somehow we just start accumulating stuff and you don't need it my son left and he left in his pickup truck and moved to another state he took what he could fit in his pickup truck and he left all the rest i'm like do you want it and he's like no i don't need it i'm like well then why'd you leave it here yeah yeah. Well, it, it's funny that, uh, you know, and I've read that, uh, for, for the people who like to kind of pervert certain scriptures or, or whatever, and you could do it. You see it. And I know people in the church who pervert what the Buddha taught. I know, you know, everyone kind of perverts everything else for their own gain. And it's like, I've seen things like, you know, mother Teresa ran a very, very, very expensive operation. She had an entourage. I think there were private jets involved. It wasn't to enrich her, but it took money. And it's, it's hard for people to understand. You know, when I had my seven-figure agency, the money wasn't bad, but it was how I looked at it. And, and you mentioned the word need. And if you're completely obsessed with the money for money's sake or because it's your ego saying, I need a car and, and this stuff, that's far different from... I want to be prosperous because this is the attachment and the obsession yeah. versus letting money come in and using it for, there's a, if I want a private jet just so I can post it online and be fancy schmancy, that's different than if I want a private jet because I don't want to wear a mask and get vaxxed and so I can travel anywhere in the world. That's far different, right? One is, one is an obsession. The other is... I want to be able to travel freely with my family and help people. Right. It's a and, tool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's the challenge, right? Because so often we attach. And so it's the first thing I talk about in the book, very first in the introduction, I said, you're an entrepreneur to make money. You have to be able to say, I want to make money right now. You can't want to make money for money's sake <laughs> because that's greed and greed will not drive your business. So that's why you need that bigger. Why, right? What is the, what is the heart reason? What is the things that you're going to do with that money? That's what's going to drive you. That's what's got to make the difference. And of course, there's, we all know, we've, we've seen history of it where people start to get money and, and the money drives the decisions and it drives the, it drives the choices. We've seen what happened in Enron where, where integrity was one of their biggest, you know, core values. And yet, from the leadership from the top down, they started saying, well, we can manipulate these numbers and get the stocks to go up because that helps all of us get more money because we're all invested in the stocks. And, and so the, the drivers shifted, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so when you're willing to give up your core values, when you're willing to give up your character, who you really are for the sake of money or any other thing, right? Whether that be the airplane or the, or the travel, even travel, or even your job for many people can become that that driver in them. And and I think when you give up who you are for a thing, then then you're stepping into those risky places and you're probably gonna make choices that break the law. And 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 that's where you start putting yourself first and your income and revenue first. What's really cool, I think, when you put other people first and and you start caring for other people and entrepreneurs pretty much we do, we do one thing. We solve a problem and we find people that have that problem. We solve that problem for them right across the board, whether it's a plumber, an AC guy, a house builder, a coach, like, like you and I financial services experts, all those people are solving a problem. And if you focus on solving that problem for enough people, you reap great rewards. And that's the way the system's designed. That's a great thing. <laughs> that's a great, great thing. And, and, 
the challenge is for so long we've been told that no you've got to work hours for money hours for money and exchange hours for money i'd rather exchange wisdom for money mm-hmm. and knowledge for money and and help you know if i can help 100 people at the same time in in a room and i get paid $5000 to help an entire room absolutely that's fantastic get $5000 in an hour but i got to give all of those people their $50 worth of value right yeah but if i'm giving them more cash value right more use value than the cash they paid they're getting off great they've got a great benefit and i'm getting the, the reaping the reward right and so Wallace E. Waddles, who came out of the church mm-hmm. in a similar situation, right? Frustrated with the church. The church wouldn't let him teach about money the way that he wanted to teach about money. So he wrote the book, Science of Getting Rich. Fantastic book, fan- fantastic tools. But it, it's very clear. Give more use value than you take in cash value, period. If you give more in value than you take in cash, then it's a fair transaction. It's win-win. They got their problem solved. They're super happy. They're glad to pay for it. And you get the benefit from it. Everybody wins. Everybody's happy. And yeah, you might just get rich doing it. I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Cultivate Elevate. A couple weeks ago, we featured Matt, the founder of Cultivate Elevate, on this podcast. And we talked about all the ways in which their organic, natural products can help you and how I, you know, those products have become a staple of my day. Each and every day, I take their six mix mushroom powder with my coffee. I take their ginkgo biloba in the afternoon. I take their shilajit in the morning, shilajit, whatever you want to call it. It helps my mood. It helps my gut health. It helps my joints, especially when I go hiking here at altitude. It also helps protect me from EMF radiation. And if you think that's tinfoil hat time, go back and listen to that episode. And guess what? In the show notes or wherever you're watching this, there's a link. You can click that link. You go to shop at Cultivate Elevate. Guess what? You get 10% off their products. 10% off. Go click the link. Go to kurtmercadante.life. There's a number of ways you can find the link. Click it. Go shop. 10% off. You're welcome for offering you that deal. At the beginning of our discussion, you used the word choose. You used it in your relationship with your wife. You know, I choose to be with her. She chooses to be with me. Now, if that ceases at some point, we have an issue, right? And that word choice. And in the book, and you commented on Facebook too regarding it, but it's it's uh, about, you have a chapter about taking 100% responsibility. And, you know, yesterday I, I did a live video. It's, it's uh, and people who've worked me for a while and still throw out this word and they know how I'm going to respond, but it's the word busy, right? I'm busy. Oh, and we think it's a badge of honor. Sorry, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And they think, they think they're, they're buying sympathy with it. And really the other person's like, well, you're just, you're, you're hysterical. I mean, you, you haven't organized anything. And so what I urge them to do is take hundred percent responsibility. So instead of saying, for instance, uh, Hey, Johnny or Janie, I got to work late. I have to work late. I can't attend your recital. Own up to it and say, sorry, I'm not attending your recital because I've chosen to work late. And people will say, oh no, but I lose my job. It's like, it's still a choice. So can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to, you say, own your own shit, right? That's, that's the, the, I think that's the name of the chapter, but taking 100% responsibility, which I think that one little thing, that's the million dollar piece right there for anyone. Once you start taking responsibility, it begs accountability, which begs some sort of action to get you where you want to go. Absolutely. Well, you talk about, so let's, let's talk about that job situation. Why does he have to stay late? Most likely because he procrastinated the three days before and didn't get his shit done. And so now he has to stay late and miss his kid's recital. You know, so it's not the job's fault. (laughs) It's his fault, right? But it's easy to blame the job. It's easy to blame the boss. It's easy to blame the spouse. It's easy to blame everybody else. But the truth of the blame game is I can't control any of those people. Mm. I can only control me. So the only person I can take 100% responsibility for is me. And so I've got to own my shit, <laughs> right? That's the, that is the title of the chapter because it is, I got to own, I got to own my choices, good, bad, otherwise. And, and until I own it, I'm going to spend all my time blaming everybody else, blaming karma, blaming God. Cause he's pretty easy to blame. Like, Oh God just hates me. This all, you know, 
it's interesting to hear, especially people that are stuck below what I call the line of courage, right? So there's a line of courage where you take 100% responsibility. It takes courage to take responsibility. It does. It takes courage. But below that line, you can be a victim. You can blame the world. You can be homeless. All of these things, it's it's pretty much laissez-faire, right? Like, just this is this is the life. This is the cards I've been dealt. And I've just got to, you know, deal with it. I can't, I can't afford to pay for this or I can't do this for my kids or all of these things are the world's fault. Yeah. But the minute I, the minute I cross that line of courage and I say, I'm responsible, that means when I can't afford to pay for that thing for my kid, I've got to look him in the eyes and I got to say, I didn't work hard enough or I didn't do enough to make that happen. And it doesn't even, I don't think it takes hard work. I think it takes commitment and perseverance, but it doesn't have to be hard. I, I don't, I, I think hard work is, is, I think hard work's necessary, right? In seasons, but I absolutely can plan my schedule around my family, around my wife. My wife had a, a terrible, terrible medical incident this last year, 40% chance of dying. And I took two weeks off. I closed my company. Just, I mean, my podcast still was released because those were set up ahead of time. Right. And, and I canceled a few calls that all got rescheduled and, and all of those kinds of things. But because of the relationships that I had set up before, all of those things were no problem. No yeah. problem, Robert, versus this desperation of, and, and yeah, I spent every day in the hospital with my wife, but never once did I think the world was against us or God was punishing us or, or any of these terrible things that people think when bad things happen. I was there with my wife so that we could be happy, supportive, and positive. And, and she was the, I promise you, she was the most positive person in that intensive care unit. And and her nurses would come back and visit her the next day when they're working in other areas because she was the most positive person in that. We knew she was healing. We knew she was getting out of there. And we were wishing positive energy and positive thoughts. But it's super easy when somebody's sick and in the hospital. It's super easy to just go, oh, it's just terrible. It's, oh, it's so out of control. It is. It's out of control. I can't control that her blood vessels exploded and these bad things happen. I can't control any of that. But I can control... When I'm standing by her side and holding her hand saying, you know what, we've got this, you know, and at one point she apologized to me. She said, I'm sorry. And I'm like, sorry for what? And she says, because this changes. I said, what is a change? It, it may change the things we're capable of doing, but it's not going to change that we're on this journey together because that's our commitment. I'm committed to being her partner on this journey till the day I die. And it doesn't matter that maybe we can't climb a mountain anymore or we can't, you know, go skydiving, but we're still together doing, you know, doing whatever we're going to do. So you have nothing to apologize for. I've got you. You've got me. We're in this together. And I think that's another thing in our culture, right? Marriage has become, relationships have become this battleground hmm. of power and control. But the truth is when you take 100% responsibility for yourself, you don't have to have power and control in a relationship, Right. I'm going to do all I can to add value to my wife. My goal is to encourage her, lift her up, to make her the best wife, to make her the best mother, make her the best woman in the marketplace. And if I'm doing those things, guess what she does for me? <laughs> She's doing everything she can to make me the best husband, the best man, the best father, the best entrepreneur. And the two of us together are making each other far better than we were, you know, living apart. And so we have a true partnership that, and does that mean, no, we still bicker and we still get at each other on certain things. <laughs> it's not perfect, but our commitment to the journey is, is far more important. And our commitment to, we're in this together, holding each other's hands side by side, whatever that means, you know, we don't know what's coming in front of us. And that's, that's what hundred percent responsibility does. Does that mean I apologize to my kids for making mistakes? Absolutely. Get down on my knees, look them in the eyes and say, you know what? I screwed that up. I wanted to make our home a safe place. I wanted my kids, when the shit hit the fan, to say, instead of saying, dad's going to kill me, I wanted them to say, I need to call my dad. Mm, yeah. right? that's, that's the kind of relationship that I wanted with my kids. You know, and stuff happened in their life, and I found out about it, and I, holy, what? how could you? And then, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that was wrong. But now I've got you. And this is a terrible situation you've created, 
but you won't go through the consequences alone. I can't take the consequences away because that's not how life works, but hmm. you're not going to go through the consequences alone. And that's what taking responsibility is. I don't want the consequences taken away, right? And that's what our culture wants. That's what you're talking about. The Everybody gets the participation medal. Everybody gets the same pay. Everybody gets the same reward. Everybody gets the same. Then we take away the consequences and then there is no growing. There is no learning, right? But the truth is, consequences are what we learn from. And yeah, sometimes the consequences suck. Sometimes the consequences last for a lifetime. But when you're in a great relationship and you're doing great things and you're owning your stuff, you deal with whatever consequence comes. It just is. And that's what most people are so afraid of dealing with the consequences. We want to take away the consequences. We want the government to take away the consequences. Right. No, don't punish us. No, don't, don't make this a bad, evil thing. And, and you know, I think the biggest example is our abortion laws. Our abortion laws, all the conversation is about the rights of the baby versus the rights of the mom. And we completely miss the point that this is a consequence of an action that nobody's talking about. Well, actions and consequences, it's as if everything in society right now is, or most things, at least in, in, in popular culture, let's say, and, and certainly the government, is designed to take away consequences, right? Mm -hmm. You look at, you, you can't watch a sporting event, every other ad, and I used to work in big pharma. <laughs> I used to do advertising in big pharma. The entire, the entire uh, point of their marketing is to take away consequences. Oh, you're just one drug away from being able to eat as unhealthy as you want without getting gas. Well, what about <laughs> the cancer? Well, you're just one drug away from doing that. And so we mask Everything is designed to remove pain. I mean, oh, well, I personally think, you know, lockdown, those types of, we're going to remove pain. Now we're going to cause more pain in the long term. And it's clear that happened, but we're going to remove pain now. And, and we have the, 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 the mental, what is it? The, uh, the attention span of goldfish, literally they found out now. And so we can't look three years down the line. Oh, 33 trillion in debt. Oh, that's, do sometime later, right? right? And so there's no consequences. Government, everything, society has masked the consequences of putting bad things in your mind, putting bad things in your body, not taking action, right? It's okay because you're entitled to free money and you can get this and we can oh. just put it on the credit card. <laughs> well, so there, there's a few things in there. First of all, we have definitely have a symptom treating system mm. and, and our, our healthcare system has really become like you mentioned, pain control. Um, I call it symptom control for the for the most part, right? And and I think the the plethora of all of these mental related illnesses is first of all, people are living at levels of stress and anxiety that we were never designed to live at, right? Our our brains were never designed to live in this level of stress and anxiety that people have created, and their brains basically in fight, flight, and freeze mode constantly. Now, I'm not a medical professional, but I can tell you that I know, I, I know, I know this with a fact that basically the doctors want to help their people, right? They want to help people. And the patient goes in and says, oh, I'm really sad. I just don't feel right. And the doctor, like aspirin, right? We take aspirin for a headache. Well, the doctor goes to pharma and says, you know, my patients just don't feel right. How can how can I help my patient feel right? Well, and the truth is now we're giving them all these drugs that kind of make them feel something different, mm -hmm. but really we're numbing. We're numbing that stress and anxiety instead of eliminating the stress and anxiety, eliminating the cause, right? Figuring out the cause, digging down to the cause and allowing the brain to get to those joy places where it releases, you know, oxytocin and and uh, dopamine and serotonin and all these endorphins that the brain is designed to give you that you've been missing out on because you're stuck in stress and anxiety. You're stuck below the line of courage. You're living in shame and guilt and, and dealing with all of these negative emotions constantly that keeps your brain in fight, fight, and freeze. Once you get out of fight, fight, and freeze by taking responsibility, right? Getting above the line of courage, taking responsibility your brain can do incredible things because when it's not dumping adrenaline into your system because of the stress and anxiety, 
it releases these really cool chemicals called dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins that are designed to make you feel good. And you experience joy and you experience pleasure and you experience. And, and I think we've created a system now where we're numbing people up for mm-hmm. a lot of these mental health things. And they just, the consequences don't go, the cause doesn't go away, right? We don't deal with the, the cause and, and they don't understand their emotions. They don't deal with their emotions in a healthy way. And they're stuck now in this drug cycle to, to make them feel better. And that's not to say that these mental health issues aren't real. They're very, very real, absolutely real. But the truth is we can treat the cause and we can help people get, a lot of people get out of these situations without drugs and without a system. You know, um, Wallace D. Waddles, James Allen both talked about it. James Allen, short little book, right? As a man thinketh. If you think about disease and Mm. sickness, what do you get? disease and sickness and that's what we've created is we've created a system where people are focused on the sickness and the disease rather than health but if you focus on health and you think about health and wellness guess what you get you get it whether you like it or not you get whatever you focus on right absolutely (laughs) and so you have the opportunity to change your thinking. You have the opportunity to think about health and wellness. And, and obviously our system is, is so far down this money hole that, you know, and, and, and not that I don't think it's bad for pharma to, to try to solve problems. I think they, their, their intentions were the same as the doctors. I want to help my patients. I want to help people. Their focus was, was, was wrong because all they're doing is eliminating symptoms, just like taking aspirin for a headache taking aspirin for a headache gets rid of the headache. But if you really care about your body and you really care about what's going on, what's causing the headache? Mm, What's causing the headache? What's causing the stress? What's causing you to feel depressed, right? Depression is sadness and all of those things. What's causing that? And instead of just taking a medicine to numb it up and make it go, make it not feel quite as yuck, right? Because that's all those drugs do. They don't really take it away. Right. Right. Which is why this other drug company is selling this other drug that says, well, if your depression medicine isn't quite getting you there, let's just take this one and it'll make you a little right. But, but really, we're taking away the emotional experience that our bodies were designed to experience. The body's mm-hmm. designed to experience these emotions. I consider the emotions like your dashboard, right? It's like a check engine light, whether it's anger or sadness or any of those things. You've got to instead of stopping it, you've got to allow that energy to to flow through you and recognize what the signal is telling you. And so if there's a sadness signal, there's something causing that sadness signal. And you can't just tape over the check engine light, which is really what we're kind of doing as a society, right? We're taping over the check engine light and ignoring the warning signals. Like you said, we're still stuffing ourselves with, with pizza and beer and expecting not to get, you know, heart disease at 60, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so there are consequences to some of our habits. There's consequences to the system that's designed to avoid consequences. But the truth is, if you want to experience what your body was designed for, which is some really cool, exciting things, right? Adrenaline is a really cool chemical in, you know, in the proportions it was designed for. That's the one that kicks us into fight, fight, and freeze, right? The lion's outside the door. You walk out the door and the lion's standing there running is a good idea having adrenaline help you run is even better right (laughs) but you don't need that adrenaline constantly and 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 people Mm. get to that anxiety and stress level where their body's dumping your brain's dumping that adrenaline constantly i it overwhelms the system and then you're dumber you're dumber when that happens right because you're not using your conscious mind you're just you're on autopilot and if your beliefs as part of that autopilot suck Right. You get more of that. You're on the moving walkway. You don't even know it. <laughs> right. Well, and the moving walkway is accelerating. Yeah. It's just, and you're in a negative cycle of misery, right? But you can get off of that. And I think get off of many of the meds. Don't, don't stop taking meds without talking to your doctor. I'm not an expert, but trust me, your body's designed to give you those signals and it's designed to give you joy. And really what's really cool is above the line of courage, when you take responsibility, you stop feeling guilt and shame because you're dealing with all that stuff. You stop feeling like you're an effect of everything that's going on around you, right? The circumstances of my life are my fault. They're my responsibility. Mm -hmm. 
everything is my responsibility. If I get hit by a car on the street, that's my fault. I was standing there in front of the car or my car was parked in front of their car. What it, it, now that's not to say they don't have to pay the bill because they're responsible if they hit me. Right. But the truth is I'm not going to let that ruin my day. I'm not going to let I I'm in charge. I get to decide getting a flat tire, man, that's a bummer. Change the tire. Boom. Move on with my day. It doesn't ruin my day. It doesn't become every call I make. Oh, had a flat tire. Yeah. You know, and, and we allow, five minute events to impact five days of our lives no <laughs> take responsibility let that crap go and move on and let your brain do stuff in freedom <laughs> that it was designed to do instead of all these things that restrict it and hold it back you know all the principles we're talking about now are in robert's book the entrepreneur mindset shift we're going to link to it in the show notes please go and grab it Final question that I want to hit on that, and, and we could talk about every chapter and I go buy the book <laughs> and find it, but there's a piece that you get in really detailed on, and I think it's so important. And, you know, whether you talked about uh, the situation and the experience with your wife in the hospital, and you talk about control and force and the opposite of that, which is surrendering and allowing, which doesn't mean you don't take inspired action, but it's allowing and surrendering. One thing you write around in the book that goes directly to the heart of this, and, and really the, the heart of everything we've talked about, quite honestly, but it becomes hard to allow and surrender due to our body's own survival capabilities. And you go in deep on the reticular activating system in the book. And a lot of people have no idea what this is. And it can, it, it's designed to be our best friend, but it can also be our greatest enemy. Right. And hold us for, so can you, can you explain what the RAS is and how entrepreneurs, really anyone can begin to retrain it, to utilize it as a tool and a weapon for their own good, instead of keeping them trapped on that moving walkway? Absolutely. Well, so the first thing is recognition that our brain is a slow evolving machine. It's the greatest machine in the history of humanity so far. There's no other, nothing we've created is better than the human brain, right? So, so all of the, the computers and everything else still can't match what the human brain does. But the human brain's number one job is to keep us alive. And so it's still in survival mode. The brain in some ways still thinks that we're inside a cave and there's a lion outside and anything we do to step outside that cave, the lion's going to eat us. And so the brain has this system designed to keep you alive. And part of that's called the comfort zone, right? The brain wants to keep you in the things that you know really good, right? And, and keep you from doing things that are different than you've done before. That's part of that, right? Because as far as the brain's concerned, if you do something different than you've done before, there's a lion outside the door waiting to eat you. <laughs> and so recognizing that 95% of the decisions you make, 95% of the thoughts that you have are made in your subconscious. And you don't have control over that. Those are those all happen without you taking any control or responsibility. 95% of the things that your brain is doing, it's doing without you, <laughs> right? Part of that's keeping you alive, right? Your heart beating, your breathing, all of those things that are necessary to keep you alive. But the other part, it's based on programming, most likely that was planted by people of authority in your life, your parents, your your teachers, your these ideas about money, these ideas about yourself, these ideas about the world and how the world works, all of these ideas. So quick example, when you get an idea, right? You get a million dollar idea and or the idea that you could double your income one month to the next. And the first thing your brain says is, you, how could you do that, right? And the brain challenges that idea and the brain's like, no, 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 no. That doesn't fit our beliefs. So that's out, right? So the reticular activating system is our spam filter. It's like this incredible, incredible tool the brain uses to filter out everything that's going on around us, right? Our eyes are taking in as much information as a 60 megapixel camera every second. Our ears are taking in all the sounds that are happening around us. Our skin is this giant touch surface that can feel 
wind and breezes and temperature and, and all of these things. And all of this sensory information is being gathered millions of bits at a time. Well, our conscious brain can only hold, handle like 48K, right? Like 48 bits of information per second. That's the part where you and I are thinking and talking and we hear ourselves, the voice in our head kind of talks at that level. But the subconscious can process tens of thousands, 50,000 bits of information all at once. And it doesn't filter it, right? It doesn't know whether it's real or imagined. It just, if it fits these three categories, it'll let it in, hmm. right? And so the, the, the three categories are basically... Is it true for you, right? Does it match my belief systems is the most powerful one, right? And so <clears throat> does it match my belief system? Does it, so that idea, that idea that you could double your income, if your brain doesn't believe you can double your income or you're capable of it or worthy of it, or your brain's like, no, those ideas don't get in, right? Mm. Is it my responsibility? Is it something I'm responsible for? Boom, then it gets in. And is it important? Boom, then it gets in, right? Those are the three categories. Now there's certain things that the RAS always lets in. Your name, right? Somebody says your name, boom. No matter where you are, boom. Your brain your mm -hmm. brain hears it, reacts to it. Sexual innuendo from your partner or a sexual advance from your partner. Your brain, like that's the part of <laughs> that's the that's the survive. The brain is designed to keep us alive and keep us reproducing. The brain responds to that because that's the survival instinct, right? That's how we perpetuate ourselves on the planet. Boom, like, whoo, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm all in, right? Um, and, and so this reticular activating system, what's really cool about the subconscious is it doesn't know the difference between something I've really experienced, right? Jumping out of an airplane, skydiving, woo, mm -hmm. did that once, you know? But now I can do it in my imagination and I can truly imagine it and feel it and do all of these things. And my brain doesn't know the difference whether I've jumped once or jumped a hundred times mm. because I can imagine it over and over again. But I can do the same thing with, with my money beliefs. And I can start programming my reticular activating system to understand that, hey, these ideas about money, those are important. Oh, th these ideas about money, that's my responsibility. And Oh, I believe that I can double my income. And now if I've programmed myself to believe all three of those things, guess what my reticular activating system does? It says, oh, there's a money idea. Hey, oh, there's another money idea. Let me show it to Robert. You know, oh, there's another investment opportunity. Let me show it to Robert. So it's kind of like I mentioned in the book, a red Jeep. If you like red Jeeps and we start planning this scene about red Jeeps. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, don't look for red Jeeps this afternoon. And I'll see red Jeeps all day long right and so we think like when you go buy a new car you think oh nobody else has this car this is great and you start driving around you're like wait a minute now they're all over the place so that's what's happened is you've sent a message to your reticular activating system saying hey this car is important and now it just opens up and says oh there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's they were there all along but your brain was telling you that they weren't important and they weren't your responsibility hmm. and and so there's these really cool times in the morning and in the evening that are really prime times for programming your reticular activating system. That's why Napoleon Hill said, do the six steps, read it every morning and read it every night before you go to bed until you have it memorized, until you're using it and you're keeping it in your mind. And I think the biggest difference between people that read, think and grow rich and go, ah, that won't work for me. And the people that take action and apply the six steps in their life and do some of the stuff. And yeah, it was written a hundred years ago. Yeah. The language is kind of funky, but if you still figure out how to make the language work for you and your brain, those things are powerful. Mm. Uh, and so I think the power of starting your day and finishing your day with what you want in the world, I add gratitude to mine because gratitude helps me stay in, in that place you're talking about, right? That humility place where it isn't really about me. And, and being grateful for the things that I have and being grateful for the opportunities just keeps it out of me. It's not me. It's, it's this combination of the universe and God and, and me making a bigger impact together, right? Yeah. And so God, God and I are working together for the good of the world. That's pretty cool. But gratitude is what keeps me humble. And so having gratitude keeps my mind in the right place, my attitude in the right place. But then it allows me to plant those programs of, I'm worthy of success. I'm worthy of, and I can do 
great things with this money and, and having a plan for the money, right? If you don't know what you're going to do with the money, why would God give you any more? Right. Or, yeah. or like we talked about earlier, the parable of talents. If you're not taking care of the money that you've got, why would God give you any more? Right. And that's why in the money chapter, I say it's simple. Live on a budget, spend less than you make. That's the first step. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, this interview today and, and you're Christian, we interviewed last night Jason Gregory, who is an Eastern philosopher, and we even talked about Hinduism and Buddhism uh, and a little bit about Christianity. But when you really get down to it, and you mentioned, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill 100 years ago, well, heck, 2,000 years ago, 2,500, whether it's the gospel, whether it's the Tao Te Ching, whether it's the teachings of Buddha, one thing to look at is when you actually read it, you're saying the same thing that if I have a Buddhist on here saying, when you really get down to the spirituality and take some of the people out of it, right? And the programming and the people that we've talked about, they would say, money's bad. You realize that the notion and the principle of surrender and let go and let God and opening up and understanding that obsession is where money's not the root of all evil. That, it didn't say that. It said the love of money, the obsession becoming attached is key. And you mentioned gratitude. So I, I, I'd love to finish off by just saying I'm, I'm very grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you had me on, on your show, that we crossed paths. Now we're, we're friends connected on social media. And I would be very grateful if anyone watching or listening went, picked up the Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, also went to Robert's website, which is, we're going to put it in the show notes, but what's your website? Um, addvalue, the number two, life.com. Addvalue to life.com. Go there, learn about Robert. I know he's got masterminds. He's got a lot of great stuff. Robert Peterson, thank you so much for joining us today. Kurt, thank you for a great conversation, man. I can't wait till we're just rocking somewhere in Sedona together and just hanging out. Come on down. <laughs>